Oh, are we live? You're going to have to edit all this. <laughs> you good for mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Reformation South. I think this is now episode five. So we are excited to kind of kick off the series that we have simply titled What Christians Believe. So uh, before we get into the episode and before we uh, really dive into that series, as always, we want to thank you for listening to even one of these episodes. If you have listened to all of the episodes, thank you very much. If you're enjoying these things, if you're in, if you're learning from them, or maybe maybe you just want to share with other people what you've heard on this podcast and what we've talked about and the things that you might be studying and growing with, we would ask of you, uh, if you would be so kind, to share the podcast with others, whether that's through Facebook or just sharing it any which way you are able to do that. We would we would appreciate it, and we do appreciate you listening with us, and we appreciate you being here today as we kick off this series. But again, before we do that, I'm going to let Chesley give all of our contact information to everybody so that we can get that out there and so that you can contact us if you'd like to. And we do. We want to hear your questions. We want to hear your thoughts. Even if you have complaints, I don't say that to just to try to make a joke or anything else. If you listen to this and you disagree with what we say and you want to let us know where you're coming from, we still want to hear from you. So, Chesley, our contact info, please. Hey, everyone. So our voicemail number is 470-851-0045. And if you'd like to send us a letter, our P.O. Box 1579, Baxley, Georgia, 31515. And Ben, how are you today? I'm doing great, doing great, Caleb. How are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> so we, uh, oh, I'm great. Thanks. <laughs> we're, we're, rec- we're in the studio. We don't have a studio. We are in the studio on, uh, on a different day than we are used to, and which is fine. So I've actually been talking a lot already this morning. I had the privilege to, to be able to preach, and so we're following up the sermon with a podcast. And so it has been a good day so far. It's been a good Lord's Day. We're recording on a Sunday, so we were able to, to worship together and, and study together. So anyway, yeah. What Christians believe. Just a little bit of legwork before we dive in. If this isn't something that you're brand new to, if you have taken time to study and just really kind of get to the bottom of the Christian faith, you are well aware that there are labels, there are terms that get used and titles that get thrown around that ultimately can lead to a lot of argumentation, lead to a lot of debate. But really, even if you're just a Christian at all, I know that you are familiar with the term denomination. So uh, let me make sure Chesley and Ben are awake over here. When you hear the word denomination, what pops in the old noggin? What do you think of? Factions, uh, splitting, disagreements. So let's start our own little sect of Christianity. So division. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. So, but really denomination at the end of the day, where do, where do the denominations come from? Yeah, I mean, ultimately you can say it, it's divisive. Well, we, we believe this way, we worship this way. But what's the point? What do you think? And I don't, want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but just for the sake of conversation and to get the ball rolling, like what do you think the point of denominations is? Well, where I believe it derives from is just the innate sinfulness of man, yeah. to be quite honest with you. I mean, that's where it's begins yeah i'm right you're wrong yep. so we're going to do it this way and you do it your way yep okay yeah just from disagreements and people thinking that something is supposed to be done differently and but i ultimately think that it's a, a failure to to be unified mm-hmm. in one belief under christ as our head yeah and that's good because i wanted denominations and what we just talked about div- divisiveness and, and disunity contrast that with the fact that something we talked about on a previous episode that for the most part 
every Christian that you talk to, they will at least give lip service to the fact that, oh, we want unity. We want the body of Christ to be united. There's this weird dynamic in the fact that like we love our divisions. We love our denominations. Oh, I, I love being a Methodist, and you'll never correct you'll you'll never convince me that like being a Baptist is the right way to go because I'm a Methodist. But then you go to that Methodist and you go to that Baptist, and they're both like, "Well, what we want is church unity. What we want is the body of Christ to be united. You'll never get us to come down off of our Baptist pedestal and our Methodist pedestal, but we really do want the body of Christ to be united." And it's like at some point we have to say. We don't really want unity as bad as we say that we want unity. We actually love our factions and we love the division and and everything else. But add to that one more thing. It is a difficult thing to come together and sit down and say, okay, both of us need to admit there might be things where we have it wrong. So let's just come to the scripture and let's allow the scripture to actually correct us. And let's be willing to admit, you know what, maybe... Maybe somewhere along the lines, we took a hard stance on something that, biblically speaking, there's not a definite stance taken on it. I guess, for instance, like infant baptism versus believer's baptism. People who believe in infant baptism, are they sinning in that practice? And are they doing something that's actually labeling them unchristian? They're not. No. Uh, But do they take a hard stance on it? Do they they say, well, this is the way that it ought to be done? And they're planting a flag where really it's like, Okay, well, can you really plant a flag there? So just stuff like that. For just a real quick example, it's a hard thing to sit down and say, you know what, everybody here is a part of this conversation. We all need to be willing to say there might be some areas where we have it wrong. So let's lay down our Presbyterianism or let's lay down our Methodism or our Baptist ways and let's really just in simplicity and in sincerity come before the Scriptures and say, what has God said? And that is hard because of being said it because of our humanness, because of our innate sinfulness. That's difficult because there's something within us that we want to be able to say, I have it right. We have it right. And so you take denominations, you take these stances, and you take you take all of this together, and we realize Scripture definitely speaks towards the unity of the body. So with all of that being said, denominations and other labels that you'll get into is like Arminianism, Calvinism. But our goal So if you're with us, if you're listening to this, and and if you're going to continue to listen to these episodes, our goal, Reformation South, Caleb, Chesley, Ben, our goal is to look at doctrine, Christian teaching, to look at the scriptures and say, forget all of the labels, forget all of the titles, forget all of the things that, that we attach to Christianity. Well, I'm a Baptist Christian or I'm a Methodist Christian. or Nope. What do Christians believe? What does the scripture teach? What has God spoken? And we're going to come at this from a stance that to the best of our human ability, because we're all human and we all have leanings and everything else, but to the best of our ability, we're just going to be like, guys, if you're a Christian, this is what you ought to believe, period. We know with that, we've already discussed it, that, yeah, there's going to be some people that may listen to these episodes and say, oh, well, they're saying they're not leaning one way, but I can tell that they're really trying to get people to think along these lines or whatever. If that's you, if you're ever listening to any of these episodes and you think, oh, well, I think they're trying to secretly get people into whatever else, then our humble challenge to you is disprove what we're saying from Scripture, and then we'll have a conversation about it. Yeah. But if you can't disprove what we're saying from Scripture, then you need to be taught by the Scriptures, and we need to be taught by the Scriptures. So this is what Christians believe. This isn't what Baptists believe or what Calvinists believe or what Armenians believe. We're doing a series, and our goal is to steer clear of all those labels and say, guys, we claim to be Christians. 
biblically speaking, what do Christians believe? And that's our aim. That's our goal. Do you guys have anything that y'all would like to disclaim or get out in the open before we actually jump in? Um, Nothing other than the fact that anything that we say, we are going to do our best to filter through Scripture as well. And I know that you've basically said that, but just to say it again, that you know, we understand that traditions are important to people. We're not trying to, to say that any of those things are not important or to dissuade you from having a particular tradition, but just to kind of look past those traditions and say, what does Scripture say? And we're not going to come to you with anything that we haven't wrestled with ourselves or that we haven't had to come to Scripture and go, okay, this is what Scripture says, so this is what we are to believe as followers of Jesus. Well, I think it's important to always take the whole of Scripture. Uh, we can't just take and use a piece of Scripture and say this is what it means. That's a common common practice that we use to back up our denomination. Just keep that in mind. It, it, the scripture is one whole. So to Ben's point, you're saying like denominations and stuff, sometimes there's a practice of, well, we take this portion of scripture really seriously and that's why we have this belief. Yeah. And your challenge to that is, okay, well, yeah, that's a portion of scripture. But when you put that portion of scripture within the whole context of Genesis to Revelation, is it cohesive? Is that really yeah? Is that really what it says? Is it cohesive? Is it consistent? Yeah. You know, one of the one of the sure marks of a false teaching, or even we won't even use the word false. We'll just say a bad teaching or a weak teaching is that you it, it's not consistent throughout the whole of scripture. Correct. You might be able to look at one, maybe even two passages of Scripture and say, well, there it is. You see it, right? But when you put those one or two passages of Scripture up against the whole of the rest of Scripture, it's kind of like, hmm, that doesn't really hold water. No. Uh, it doesn't really seem well, to fit. A lot of times it creates uh, like con- contradictions, what people would call them. And, and I would agree that would be a contradiction, but we know if the Holy Spirit actually gave this word, there couldn't be any contradictions. So if there is a contradiction, it's within yourself. Yeah. It's a you are incorrect. So scripture interprets scripture. Correctly. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Chesley, anything else before we get going? Nope. Okay, so we want to start with something that all three of us agree. You may agree, you may disagree, but all three of us here, we really, I think all of us strongly agree that the idea and the understanding of God's holiness is something that is lacking within the church today. I guess to kind of start on not such a heavy note. Uh, for those of you who know who R.C. Sproul is, uh, he one of his most famous clips, one of his most famous quotes, I believe they're actually putting it on t-shirts and coffee mugs and stuff now, is what's wrong with you people? And if you don't if you don't know the context of where that quote came from, they were doing a question and answer service. I believe it, it was at a Ligonier conference, which was Ligonier Ministries was, was started by R.C. Sproul. And that's, what, that's really what R.C. is known for. He was able to articulate doctrine and theology and articulate the scriptures well and he was a very intelligent man a very a very gifted teacher but he was able to teach in such a way where the common people if you will could understand these deep and weighty concepts of theology and so there was a question and answer going on and it was him and and a few other guys it was a panel but the question was basically this isn't going to be verbatim but the question was along the lines of if God is, is all loving and all, and all good or omnibenevolent, then why was the punishment towards Adam and Eve so severe when they fell in the garden? You know, they were cast out of the garden. You know, why was that so severe? And R.C. kind of leans forward in, in his chair, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. So severe. But then he, then he utters this famous quote, and he goes, what's wrong with you people? Well, people start to kind of chuckle, and he's like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> he says, I'm serious. What's wrong with you people? Like, he said, this is the problem 
uh, within the church today, we don't know who we are and we don't know who God is. Um, And I think we don't know who God is, namely because we've really dropped the ball on holiness, the concept, the idea of holiness. Because holiness is to be set apart, but there's there's a way to talk about that as if it's not that big of a deal. Oh, well, holiness, you know, God is set apart from us. He is above us. You know, we're we're not on his level, so to speak. That's what that's what God's holiness is. It just means that he is set apart. He is different than we are. Like, yeah, but there again, there's a way to talk about that that doesn't really catch the weight of it yeah. and the depth of it. So um, we'll start out this way. I, I shared a little story there. What are, what are y'all's first thoughts? Where does your mind first go? when you think about the holiness of God? Either one of y'all can go first. The uncleanness of man. Okay. When I think of holy, uh, I think of pure. And I know just one simple sin makes me unpure. I have no right before a holy God. How do I ever come before a holy God? Okay. That's my first thought. Yeah. So, so purity versus impurity. Yeah. Us being the impurity yeah. and him being all that is pure, yeah. all that is holy. Holy. Huh? Yes. Chesley? Well, when I think about the word holy to be set apart, um, I think about the fact that an unknowable God made himself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is far away from us, yet he is near. He's unknowable, yet he's knowable. He's unapproachable, yet he's approachable through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when I think about holiness, I think about the fact that it's something that I'll never attain within myself. It is the commandment that we're given, be holy as I am holy. The Lord tells the people of Israel that. He tells us that. And it's something that with a proper understanding, we know that we're never going to attain. But in the life and work of Jesus Christ, he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He kept every law that we could never keep. He was never guilty of any of it. Yet he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So when the father looks at us, he doesn't see Chesley. He doesn't see Ben. He doesn't see Caleb. He sees Jesus. And so when I think of holiness, I think of something that's completely unattainable Mm -hmm. because there's nothing in me that would ever bring about holiness because I'm not set apart in and of myself. There's nothing that I can do in my own power to ever make me holy or make myself holy, but Jesus has done that. So that's what I think about when I hear the word holy and the whole concept of to be set apart. And I'm set apart by the Father through the Son, yeah. and I'm sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So that, those are the things that I think about when I consider what the word holy means and what it looks like in the life of the believer. Yeah. And I fail at it constantly, by the way. This is something that I always have to think about because when, when I sin— either when it's something that someone brings to my attention or it's something that I have in my thought or something that I know that I've done wrong, I have to tell myself, you know, you fell, you sinned against God, and this is the mark uh, of, of lawlessness, but God's holy. And, and because God is holy and because he loves sinners, I am counted as righteous in Christ. And like kind of preaching the gospel to yourself whenever you do sin to remind yourself that it's never been about what I can do. Yeah. Thank the Lord. Yeah, yeah, amen. And that's within both of your, because both of your responses, because Ben mentioned purity versus impurity. And so obviously the sinfulness of man, the, the fall of man, if you go all the way back to the garden, the fall of man. And you you mentioned in your answer, like 
Christ fulfilled all those things that we could not fulfill. He was perfect. So the word perfection came to mind hearing you talk. And then just because you said, you know, he, he lived that perfect life, but he died upon the cross. He, he laid down his life. And so you got the reason that that was necessary is because God is just. So the sin had to be judged because of the purity thing. Yeah. He's holy, he is pure, he is righteous, and we're not. So the guilt, the penalty for our sin has to be paid. Well, it was paid by Christ. Because in order for us to be where he is, in order for us to be welcomed into the kingdom of God, we have to be holy as he is holy. And that is completely unattainable on our end, in the flesh, not going to happen. And so you get into the mercy and the grace of God that you're like, well, he sent Jesus and Jesus is our righteousness so that we can be holy as he is holy. But God did that too. We didn't do that. God did it. So mercy and grace and love. And so you you guys are probably going to hear us say this. Maybe not us. You're going to hear me say it a lot. But you can't. Something that something that you that we will grasp as we try to talk about one attribute of God at a time is you can't uh, you can't talk about just one attribute. They're all interconnected. Yeah. They all make up His Godness, so to speak. They're they're all interconnected and interwoven. There is not a single attribute of God that just like outweighs all the other ones. Um, God is holy. He is just. He is also merciful and gracious and kind and forgiving and long-suffering and so you'll hear us talk about all these things but we're going to do our best to stay as focused as we can be on one attribute at a time and so but you can see there just with that example when you talk about God's holiness and it immediately bleeds over into his mercy and his grace and his justice and his his perfection which is holiness you know he is set apart he is above us and so just by way of reminder Chesley hit on it and really Ben hit on it too just with his just with his contrast of purity and impurity, who are we? We are not holy. When when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, what did they deserve? Death. When we fall short uh, of God's law, when we fall short of God's standard, which is perfection, when we fall short of that, what do we deserve? Death. Judgment. Yet, here we are, which there again exposes God's mercy, His grace, and His long-suffering, and His, his patience, and His salvation. But guys, I want all of us to be aware of it. When I say all of us, I don't mean just me being a Chesley. You, the listener, I want us to be aware of every second of every day when we fall short of the glory of God, what we deserve is judgment and death. And the reason for that is he's holy, he's just, he's pure. So when we are impure, when we are unrighteous, when we are unholy, there deserves we deserve for there to be a great chasm fixed between us and we deserve judgment and wrath and death. And so you go back to the garden and you realize, well, not only, not only did Adam and Eve not fulfill the law of God, not only did they disobey him, not only did they sin and fall, God didn't kill them that day. He made coverings for them and clothed them. Uh, and so there again, right back into mercy and grace. But the, something had to die that day. There was a sacrifice that was made in order for that clothing to be made for Adam and Eve. And what was the reason for that? Why did something have to die? Because God is just. His law was broken. His His word, the, the covenant between him and Adam was breached and something had to die. But there was a sacrifice made instead of it being Adam that was put to death. And so there, it's deep, it's weighty, but let's focus in on holiness. We need to at least try to grasp. I don't think that we're ever going to be able to fully grasp it until we're there with him in glory. But this concept of God's holiness that does put him above us. As Chesley said, we, we cannot attain to it. We can't attain God's level of holiness. Our only hope is Christ Jesus. 
our only hope is the gospel and that God is who he says he is. But each one of us, I think, has a brief portion of scripture to share that, that came to our mind when we thought about God's holiness and what does it look like when it's portrayed in scripture um, and what, what is the response of man in scripture whenever he is exposed to the holiness of God. So my mind went to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah 6, we know Isaiah is a prophet, so he has been chosen by God to be the mouthpiece of God to the people of Israel. Uh, and you would think, our temptation is to think, man, if God's choosing somebody to be a prophet, they've got to be like as spotless as you can be. They've got to be the cream of the crop, you know. <laughs> but look here what happens when Isaiah is exposed to the majesty of God here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So just, just in this brief encounter, if you will, Isaiah's response wasn't to say, I want to go hug the king, or I want to go, you know, I want to, I, I want to go just speak to, I mean, not even that, not even, I, I just want to go talk to him and ask him questions and get to know him. It was, woe is me, I'm undone. Yeah. I'm unclean. I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean. I mean, it was an immediate acknowledgement he is pure, I am not. He is righteous, I am not. He is God, I am not. I'm not worthy to be here. I'm undone, I'm unclean, I'm lost. And then even here in this account, again, sorry, bleeding over into some other attributes of God, but the seraphim flies to him and says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And that came from a coal from the altar signifying that a sacrifice was burned, and that sacrifice was applied to Isaiah, and his sins are atoned for. And so you see all of this beauty. What did Isaiah, well, first, Isaiah didn't deserve to be here in this moment. He cries out, woe is me, I'm undone. And he receives this message that, hey, Isaiah, you are guilty. You are a man of unclean lips. But because this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. So we see the majesty, the holiness the grace, the mercy, the love of God, all here in this short interaction here. But I do want to bring something out here as relates to God's holiness. Woe is me. I'm undone or I'm lost. One of the reasons that all three of us agree that this concept of God's holiness is um, it's not really well understood in our generation is we live in a day and age where there's so many people, a lot of popular, a lot of these popular churches, again, y'all can't see me, I just used air quotes, but these, these popular churches, they, 
sometimes you'll hear them say, well, they had a vision or they had a dream, or you'll, you'll hear some people say just straight up, they'll say, God called me up into heaven and I was able to see him. And There's so much wrong with those scenarios, but we're not, this episode isn't to dive in with everything that's wrong there. But understand this, we just read a passage of scripture where Isaiah was really beholding the king. And his response, again, was not to jump up and down in excitement. His response wasn't even to run up to him and say, I've got so many questions or I just love you so much. His response was that he was fully aware of his uncleanness. He was fully aware of the fact that he is not holy. He is not worthy. You could say that it was a response of humility. It was a response of understanding who he is and who God is. And just like that R.C. Sproul quote, that's what's missing. We don't understand who God is. We don't understand who we are. So we have, we have these examples of people that will just say, well, I saw God or I was, you, and you'll hear people say, I was talking to Jesus the other day. And, you know, Jesus told me, and like, like it's not, like it's just this thing that happens. And again, there's so much wrong with that. I'm trying to rein myself in because we're not trying to dive into the depths of all of that. But we need to understand this, this, uh, this concept of God's holiness. And it is, God is not someone that we, that we just get to talk about like we're talking about Chesley or like we're talking about Ben or like we're talking about our mom and dad. Like it's God. Yeah. And so what we're doing right now you know, here we are. We, In our flesh, in our sinfulness, in our fallenness, what we deserve is death. And yet here we are, three guys, they were actually recording a podcast on what are we doing. God is actually allowing us to discuss Him, discuss His Word, which is holy. And God is actually allowing us to, to think and contemplate who He is. And through His Spirit, He's actually allowing us to understand and comprehend who He is. So in a very real way, what we're doing right now, not just talking, but, you know, we've got our Bibles open and we're reading and we talked earlier. The fact that we're able to understand any of this is a miracle in and of itself. The fact that God has spoken at all and made himself known, like Chesley referenced earlier, the fact he's unknowable, but he's made himself known. And so what we're doing is something that is, it is sacred because God is holy. So, you know, for the listeners, you know, we want you to be confident that, we don't come here just trying to like shoot things off the cuff or, or whatever else. Like we, and, and pray for us that we always stay aware that, that what we're doing, what we're attempting to do to explain and teach and talk about the Word of God is holy. And it's a weighty thing. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut up now because I know I've been rambling. I'm, I've, got, I've got two or three things ram, rolling around in my head that I'm trying not to make, I'm trying not to just hijack this episode and chase all kind of rabbits. So God's holiness, when Isaiah was here in this moment, his response was, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm lost. So we, I think we need to take that into consideration. Ben? Uh, one of the things that, that strikes me in uh, Isaiah 6 is uh, think about John, I think it's chapter, what is that, 12, 39 through 41, where he, he quotes from Isaiah 6. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But then the very next verse says, Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory and spoke of him. The him that John is referring to is Jesus Christ. John said that Isaiah saw Jesus Christ, the, the glory of, of Jesus in his vision. 
to me it's uh it speaks of the the uh, inability to separate the holiness of the father from the holiness of the son and the holy spirit the the trinity it, it shouts loud and clear to me in reference to the to the holiness of christ and the, the trinity itself it's just something that that i find very uh, i guess satisfying uh, enriching yeah. um uh, it, it deepens my understanding of who Christ is. Yeah, yeah. It it and it connects, like you said. I mean, it, it connects the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Godhead is holy. And then you could even the fact that <laughs> the fact that I know holiness doesn't directly tie to His authority or His sovereignty, but His holiness and His authority over over man and in what was said there in Isaiah six and then repeated there in John twelve. So I mean, that's a yeah, enriching is a good word. It adds yeah. some depth to the understanding of, of God's holiness and yeah. that that is extended over into the Son, which verifies and confirms He and the Father are one. He yeah, is God. Exactly. So, yeah. You guys are looking at me, but you hadn't said my name yet. So is it my turn? <laughs> okay. Um, so something that came to my mind were actually two things, two, two portions of Scripture, but the same general area. Exodus chapter 20, whenever Moses receives the Ten Commandments, so I'm reading a portion of scripture here. This is after God gives the Ten Commandments to him. And then in verse 18, it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And then in verse 26, it even says, And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. So a couple of ideas that I was reading there. The people, the Israelites, Moses is on the top of the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments on the tablets from the Lord, written by God himself. The thunder and the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, this is the presence of God, this is the voice of God. The people trembled, they stood far off. So the holiness of God brings about in humankind fear. They are afraid to be close to God because God is holy. It's God's holiness that sets him apart. It even says that the people stood far off and they told Moses, you can speak to us, Moses, on behalf of God, be the mediator between us, but we don't want to speak directly to him because we'll die. And that's because God is that holy. And Moses tells them, do not be afraid. We hear that when the angels appear to Joseph, do not be afraid. I bring you tidings of good joy. Anytime we see an angel, even an angel, we're not even, we're talking about the created being by our God. People are afraid of them. They do not run up to them and embrace them and hug them and laugh and all of these things. They are frightened to the point that they, they possibly, even with some of the descriptions that we read throughout the Bible, we're not even sure that angels, what they look like and the things, the descriptions we do have are quite terrifying. Yeah. Um, so the holiness of God plays throughout all of these things, even down to what angels, the appearance of angels to people throughout scripture. Moses 
drew near to the thick darkness where God was. God is so holy that he brings about dread and terror to his creation whenever we see him. And that's because we do not have in and of ourselves the ability to look upon him. He is so holy. He is so pure. We are not these things. And so we need a mediator. And in this instance, Moses was the mediator between man and God. But now through the fullness of, of the gospel, and the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ is our mediator. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. Read the book of Hebrews if you want to know about any of those things. Hebrews talks about the supremacy of Christ over all things and that he is better than all of these examples that have come before him, including Moses. Moses is specifically listed there in that. And I mentioned verse 26, you shall not go up by the steps to my altar that your nakedness be not exposed on it. God takes it so seriously nakedness that you not uncover your father's nakedness that you not uncover your uncle's nakedness your mother's nakedness all of these things whenever he's giving out commandments regarding morality that he does not even want someone wearing a covering to come up over the steps so that their nakedness be not exposed over the top of it because god does not accept that and I'm trying to. I don't even know. How, I don't even know the it's words to, to put it. Yes, nakedness and shame. Nakedness and shame. So thank you, Caleb. So even going back to Genesis, when Adam and Eve fell, the foreshadowing of Christ, our Father hands down the promise that a seed will come from woman, and He will crush your head and you will bruise His heel. And the fig leaves that Adam and Eve had sewn together to cover their nakedness was not sufficient. And it's a perfect example of our works being as filthy rags. And God takes an animal who was blameless and he kills that animal and he makes coverings of skin and places it over Adam and Eve to cover their shame, to cover their nakedness. And this is a perfect, I thank you again, Caleb, for Exodus 20 verse 26, because our nakedness is our shame. But thankfully, Jesus Christ removes our shame. He removes our condemnation. Caleb preached about that this morning from Romans 8. He removes our guilt and we stand in him and his finished work and the father sees us. I wanted to, to jump over also to Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. So Moses receives the Ten Commandments on the tablets. And to, to summarize it really quickly, he becomes angry and he shatters the tablets. <laughs> and then God gives them to him again and chapter 34 and uh, starting in verse 29 when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him but Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Moses didn't even know 
that his face had been shining. And it was the presence of God on him. It was the glory of God on him, pointing back to the holiness of God, that he came down and the people, Moses is not even mediating in, in this immediate moment anymore. He's finished speaking to the Lord and he's come down off of the mountain. And the people are seeing just the face of Moses shining and they are afraid because Moses' face is shining because the glory of God is showing on Moses. This is the fear of the Lord. This is the type of fear that we're supposed to approach the Lord with. It's out of awe and reverence. We, we love God. We respect God. We have reverence for him. Um, yes, he is full. He, he brings about in us all dread, wonder, veneration. We revere him because he's, he is apart from us. He is holy. He's far off, but he brings himself near. And in this instance, Moses was the mediator who brought us near to God by giving us the Ten Commandments. And he was the mediator between God and the people. And now, as I said earlier, Jesus is the mediator between God and man. And he intercedes on behalf of believers at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit, talking about Romans 8, intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray what we ought to pray before the Father. So we have so many, we have the full Trinity here. When you're talking about Romans 8, you have the Father, you have the Son interceding, you have the Holy Spirit interceding and leading us into sanctification and to live lives of personal holiness. Talking about the holiness of God, if we are to be like Jesus Christ, if we are to be holy as God is holy, we look to the life of Jesus Christ and we trust and we have faith that God will bring about a, a sanctification in our lives, though it be progressive, though we will always live in our sinful flesh, we were buried in the likeness of Christ in his death and we were raised with him in his resurrection and we therefore live lives as new creations in him. And we are able to attain that holiness, not of our own doings, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's a great way to, I think we've got enough here. I know we do. We can wrap up here. But yeah, I mean, that's, that was... It, it seems to be being, you can help me out on this one, typically, and this is a good thing, seems to be Chesley always ends up giving just like a spot on like gospel presentation. Every time. Like here it is. Time. Like here's the gospel, <laughs> Father, Son, and Spirit. You know, and that's it, it's good for us. And I'm not, he's over there rolling his eyes at me. I'm not just saying this just to like pat Chesley on the back. It's good for Ben and I just to sit uh, and hear that. Because Chesley even mentioned that earlier. It's good to. Preach the gospel to yourself, and it's good to have friends who will preach the gospel to you and remind you of the gospel. But when you start with this concept of God's holiness, fear. You know, even the people said, well, we're going to get way back here. Moses, you can talk to us. Don't let God speak. And that's not even seeing God. That's don't let him speak to us or we'll die. Um, you referenced Genesis when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, their natural instinct, again, they, um, it would seem to be that they had probably walked with God in the garden before. So when God, when, when God is there in the garden and he says, well, where are you? Why did he have to ask where they were? Because it was, it was Adam and Eve's natural instinct to run and hide, to run away from God and not want to be there. And so we see that the same thing. Isaiah didn't run away and hide, but he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And so, you see that concept. So when we start there, that God is holy, we are not. God is set apart from us. Then we start to comprehend, wait a minute. So this holy God has actually made a way for us to be in his presence for eternity. Then we start to understand, 
the greater depth. Ben used a word earlier, in it's an enriching or an enrichment of our understanding of the gospel that, okay, yeah, when, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about salvation, we're talking about how a holy God takes unholy, wretched sinners and reconciles them to himself. And I'm left, and I hope for the rest of my days here on this earth that I that God constantly brings me back to this question, why? Why would a holy God save anybody? Why would he choose to save sinners who rebel against him, who don't seek him? Why would he why would he say Adam and Eve in the garden? Why would he save a man who blamed who blamed him, who blamed his creator? Well, the woman that you gave me, God, that's the reason that I that I ate, you know? Why would God choose to why would a holy God choose to be merciful, to be loving, and to, to be a God of salvation, a God who redeems? And I, so there it is right there. When we start with this concept of God's holiness, I would make the argument that immediately our, the fullness of our understanding of the gospel, the fullness of our, of our understanding of grace and love and mercy automatically starts to get deeper and deeper and deeper because we understand we don't deserve to be here. The one thing that we all deserve, judgment and death, is what none of us has faced in our life so far. I'm 31 years old. I have not faced the judgment and the wrath of God yet. And by God's grace and through Christ Jesus, I'll never face it because there's no condemnation. But that just that fact, the fact that there's no condemnation, that doesn't really hold a lot of weight until you realize what you deserve is the full condemnation yeah. of God. And so... I feel like we've probably given you guys some meat to chew on or at least some thoughts to ponder, some scripture to read, some this concept of God's holiness. If you have never taken time to just meditate and ponder the holiness of God and what that means. Uh, Chesley, again, Chesley said it earlier that, you know, he's unknowable, yet he has made himself known. He has spoken. He has given us his word. Consider that. Again, we're not worthy to be here recording this podcast. We're not worthy to we're not worthy to be here at all, let alone worthy to be here claiming God has saved us. Yeah. And through his spirit, he's actually helped us understand who he is. It's miraculous and it becomes much more of a broad and full understanding when we start with the holiness of God. Understanding who he is so that we can rightly understand who we are. Both in the flesh as an unsaved person, but also who we are in the spirit through salvation, through the washing of regeneration. So there's a lot to unpack. We told you guys this series, What Christians Believe, probably going to last a while. We might throw some fun episodes in there just to kind of break it up, maybe, perhaps, but this is going to be a, a, a long series. And so we're eager to jump in even further with you guys. We hope that you've enjoyed this. And um, by the way, just real quick before, if you're in Baxley or if you're ever in Baxley, Around We do have Thursday night Bible studies at 6 p.m. at Gooey's Pizza, and we have Sunday night Bible studies at Calvary Baptist Church at 6 p.m. If you are in Baxley and you ever want to jump in on those Bible studies, please show up. It doesn't matter that we've never met you or whatever else. Like, we want you to be there. So we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.